Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app.
Good morning. Welcome to Crime Talk. Uh, I'm your host, Joanna Perpich, and uh, we have co-host Megan Duffy on the line. Uh, Just give me one second. Megan, can you hear me? I can. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited that we can finally take uh, listener calls and have you calling in so that you don't have to get to the studio. Uh, I know that you live a little far um, and, uh, so Megan, thank you for joining me, but also all of our listeners, thank you for joining me. We have a really great episode planned. Um, we're feeling kind of spooky with Halloween yeah. coming up, so it's going to be on Greenwood Cemetery and, uh, there's a little bit of crime involved despite the founder's best efforts. So we'll be <laughs> going over some of that later. Uh, first, I have uh, some announcements for you, and then we'll get on to news of the week. Now, uh, <clears throat> as you guys already probably know, uh, Radio Free Brooklyn is starting an after-school program. Uh, this is for local teenagers in 2019 so that they can learn media literacy and make radio. Get out into their neighborhoods, report on the stuff that they care about. This is so important right now in the time of fake news that we encourage journalism and every single person who thinks that they have a story to tell. We're really excited to be doing this. And we have a very generous grant from the city who believes in us as much as we hope that you do. But we could also use a little bit of help. Uh, so please get on to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash after school. That's where you will learn a little bit more about this program and also find out ways to donate. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash after school. Now, on to some news of the week. And actually, Megan, I want your opinion on a couple of these because um, I have a few questions about some of this stuff that you might be able to help me out with. Okay. Uh, so, first off, on Wednesday, Julius Esquillen was arraigned by Brooklyn Supreme Court uh, Justice Danny Chun for killing his 22-year-old girlfriend in 2005. He's accused of shooting Desiree Caulfield in the head during an argument. And um, a neighbor called 911. Again, you know, walls mm-hmm. are thin in Brooklyn. And um, <clears throat> apparently Esquilin, after he shot her, yelled through the walls, I know you heard that, call the police. So he knew pretty quickly that he should not have been doing what he was doing. Um, okay. Well, this... Uh, <coughs> so anyway, uh, he was uh, not arrested uh, for Caulfield's murder until recently. Uh, this happened yeah. in 2005. And so I guess my question for you is, it seems really straightforward. Like, what's up with this? You know, I mean, like... But really, I mean, is there anything I mean, that make these cases trickier for like domestic violence cases? Uh, the, the only thing that I can think of is the ear witness, you know, the neighbors calling 911. Um, like we talked about last week, that, you know, the, maybe there's a lack of DNA evidence. I could just be laziness. I, just, I mean, if he, if the neighbor, heard him say I know you heard that call the police 
I really don't have any answers for you if that is and I true. read that he himself also called the cops, I guess, on himself. However, the murder weapon was not recovered. You think if you're going to turn yourself in, you just hand the police the gun. I don't know. It sounds yeah. like there's more to the story. That, it sounds like there's a lot more to the story, and that could be that could be it. If, you know, like they, you only get one shot at the arrest and arraignment, right? So mm-hmm. perhaps, perhaps the lack of a murder weapon is... Um, is the key here. If, if he supposedly shot her in the head and there's no gun, well, that could be problematic. Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, at least he's caught now. Uh, yeah. We can take little comfort in that. Sounds uh, like a gem. Also, this week, a Flatbush, Flatbush man named Nigel Kennedy was indicted for... You're going to lose your mind at this. Raping <laughs> two women in a, quote, ceremony for a, quote, church <laughs> that he ran. Oh. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that he ran out of his apartment. So apparently this is like this like weird, rapey, creepy scam he was running. He owns a religious goods store and he somehow tricked these women on separate occasions to stop by his apartment when they step in the door, he started chanting and poured uh. a clear liquid that tasted like alcohol, probably alcohol, into his victim's probably. mouths until they lost consciousness. Then, you know. What? I know. Oh, my God. Then he rapes them. And uh, one woman actually woke up during it, and uh, he said, relax, it's part of the ritual. Uh, I know. Uh, oh, I just my skin is crawling. That oh god. <laughs> did you Ugh. did you watch um you watch American Horror Story? I do. So in uh I'm trying to remember which season. It's the newest season on Netflix, so it's one season behind. And it's the one with the elections. Yes. There's actually a scene that's kind of like that. It's in the basement, right? Yeah. In the house? Yeah. Sorry, plot spoiler, guys, but it's <laughs> been out for a year, I guess. Um, um, yeah, if you're not caught up, it's not my problem. Um, yeah, there's... I don't, you know... Like, crime, what is going on with people? Like, I, also something that really... the guys of religion is such bullshit. It's just... Like, there's serious mental illness here, I think, for, you know, but I also don't understand women, and I'm not victim shaming, I, like, this guy sounds like a lunatic. Wouldn't you feel that before you go? Well, I think it might have been something kind of like, he said, oh, well, I have this item in a box at my apartment, just like run in for one second and I'll give it to you. Uh, I think okay. it was like, it sounds like he was really using his like religious store as like a way of luring them over there. I mean, okay. yeah, guys, um, PSA, when you buy things on Craigslist, uh, <laughs> be really careful. Uh, you don't want to get into this type of situation. It's terrible that we can't trust people. Um, 
But like, if you hear, if you feel any red flags, you need to get out of there. Yeah, don't ignore your don't don't ignore your gut. Like that's that's my only piece of advice. Like, like instincts are all you have these days. Like to me, it sounds like this guy probably wants to be. I don't know. We have cults on the brain, but it sounds like he's just this really ineffective cult leader who (laughs) like (laughs) he can't actually get a following. He has to like trip and assault trick and assault these women when they stop by his apartment to buy Jesus statues. To pour alcohol in their mouths enough for them to pass out. And it sounds like these women were like fighting hard. Like both of them, as soon as they were able to get away, they did. They went straight to the hospital and filed a police report. Good. Power to them. Yeah. And uh, one more part that I think that's pretty important to mention here is that they think that there could be other women that this has happened to. And so I know, right? Yeah, that's probably a given. So uh, Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez is urging others who may have had this experience or really anything with this guy that's a red flag to contact the DA's Action Center at 718-250-2340. Again, that's 718-250-2340. This man's name is Nigel Kennedy. And uh, I got I pulled this information from an article on Brooklyn Eagle. It's pretty prominently featured on his page. Also, you know, if you're feeling hesitant about reaching out, please, please do. You know, like your voice deserves to be heard. And um, even if you didn't catch that number, honestly, just call the Brooklyn DA's office. They will put you in touch with the right person. I'm on the phone with prosecutors all the time. They can be very nice people. They're lovely people, actually. <laughs> and then uh, Friday. Uh, so we all know my mild deception, obsession with uh, the <laughs> El Chapo uh, court case. Ah. I don't know what it is. I think it's partially because the reporters that I follow are also following this. Um, But there just seems to be something every week. And there's something about, like, a drug kingpin. Like, how often do you really get to see those guys in court? So, um, but... Is he in court this week or something, or last week? Oh, well, he's been arrested for, I don't know, being a drug kingpin. So yes, I um, know. <laughs> I didn't know if he'd had another hearing lately. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that like like every week or so there's news about him and this has been such a sensational case that yeah. reporters are watching it really closely. Um but anyway, this week uh his lawyer got scolded. This is not the first time. Uh but uh, so the lawyer representing El Trapo, who's on trial for drug distribution, racketeering, and overall being a very not great guy, got into a little hot water uh, for sending a threatening text message to a witness. Again, this is the oh. lawyer. <laughs> what? Holy crap. I know, right? So apparently uh, <clears throat> his lawyer sent a text saying, you know, the gov um, outed name of a witness. C-U-N-E-D-N-Y. So, I don't know. I think that this sounds kind of threatening. So, the implication here is is that um, these uh, witnesses who are cooperating, who want their identity to be withheld for fear of retribution, 
from El Chapo aren't safe and that the government cannot protect them. Uh, that definitely, to me, sounds like witness intimidation. Uh, the judge basically just told him to knock it off. Is this normal? Is this something that lawyers do? No, this is not normal. This is um, there are there are uh, rules set down by the bar association. There are ethics violations here. Like that is not okay. Um, yeah. and you don't even do that in a civil case. You know, like that's not that's not how things are done. Um, he sounds like he also wants to be a gangster. You know, well, judge, I... judge should have judge should have admonished him a little harder. I think. Well, the lawyer. And I think that if this is the correct lawyer who was written about a few weeks ago, he uh, kind of his bread and butter is representing uh, kind of organized crime types. Uh huh. And so uh, I don't know. Maybe we have a bit of a Saul Goodman situation. <laughs> um, although I kind of like Saul, but that's okay. That's neither here nor there. Um, uh, I've never watched it. Oh, you're breaking uh, my heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I, you know, I live with lawyers every day. I don't need to watch a lawyer show. <laughs> uh, um, do we know his name? Do we know Chapo's I could look it name? up. I don't have it written in my notes. Uh, I got this also from the Brooklyn Eagle. And uh, actually, next time, I'll give you a list of my news of the week so that you can go through and if anything piques your interest. Because uh, okay. I usually just pull these the morning of. That's my dark secret. Yeah. Um, the veil has yeah. been lifted for all of our listeners. Oh, here, I pulled it up. It's Eduardo Balarezo. Um, yeah. Okay. So you can huh. keep your eye on him for the future. Yeah. Google alert him. And um, this is not necessarily on my list of news, but it is New York related and it's something that made me see red and I just had to share it with someone else who I knew would be as angry about this as I am. Oh boy. All right. So do you listen to the podcast Reply All by Gimlet? I don't. Should I? Um, I mean, I like it. Usually it's pretty techie and not quite about criminal justice. So... um, you know, if you're into a, like, quirky deep dive into the tech industry, this is your podcast. Uh, right. But, I mean, if you're really wanting to, like, hear about crime, uh, you know, it's kind of, they'll, like, do one-offs sometimes. Uh, but it's really great reporting. And I'm a little bit behind, uh, but I was listening to it this morning while I was getting ready for the show, getting dressed. And uh, they just had this really phenomenal episode about how uh, crime data is actually causing corruption within the NYPD. And I'd never heard this reported out before. uh, And I just really wanted to share it on air. So the argument uh, that they're making, and there was actually a lawsuit kind of about this, is is that uh, crime data... Uh, violent crime has been going down for like the past like 15 years. Every uh-huh. year it's lower. That's what they say. Yeah. There's never been a single year where there's even been a blip upward. It's just a gentle sloping graph down. Yeah. How realistic the, is that? Since the 60s, they say. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Do we believe that? 
Um, you know, I, they say it's nationwide too, which I have a really hard time believing. Um, but it's just like, how could it? I mean, I definitely believe that we can get crime numbers down. But like, if you look at statistics, say for really anything that is supposed to be like heart disease or whatever, cancer, life expectancy. Yeah, you'll you'll see things going in the right direction, but there'll be anomalies that are yeah. just normal part of the statistics. Mm-hmm. And so when yeah, you'll be like a, a a random uptick due to some other cause and effect, right? Yeah. And so then, when you see data that is just completely missing any sort of that like friction that you would expect. Like, the data is too clean, and you start to wonder. Well, anyway, these reporters really dug into it, and turns out, you know, they had a couple whistleblowers. I think that there were 12 NYPD police who sued the city over this, who were saying that they were pressured to um, fake, or not fake, but to, like, lose files or not report things that were reported to them. So one really striking example that um, they gave was this sex worker had been raped. And uh, the police officer was trying to write it up as um, stealing services because she's a sex worker. I think that that's just unconscionable. I know, right? Anyway. That's so low. I mean, it's no wonder people, you know, no wonder I didn't call about my, my stolen phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or but, like that's, your your phone just got stolen. So, I mean, it's like, who knows what the police wrote in your file? Hopefully they wrote that you reported it correctly. Um, but like there are cops out there who are like mislabeling things or what have you to keep the crime rates low. So they're just yeah, not reporting, reporting you know. In relation... That, I think, it also has, um, well, from what I understand, um, New York State doesn't actually report to the feds, but they do get federal monies, you know, um, the police departments do in order to fight crime. So skewing the statistics is not only, a, you know, a public relations coup for them, but uh, perhaps they, it's related to how much money they get from the feds. Yeah, that's something I'm, to that's, look into. It's something to look into. I, I mean, like, I'm purely speculating at this point, but um, if we dig deeper into that, I'm sure we'd find something. And then something else that they were saying is, is that, um, <clears throat> well, you have people basically cheating on crime rates going down. Uh, there is, like, this really big push for arrests to go up. So you have both over-policing and, like, under-reporting at the same time, and that's causing this huge clusterfuck. Right. So Great. Yeah. I know. It's very Orwellian. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, um, Reply All, um, really great episode. Everyone should listen to it. I will listen to, to that today. Yeah, you should. I think that... <clears throat> I actually think that you, if you do really have any interest in, um, like, Silicon Valley stuff, like, the way that they cover it is, like, so weird. Like, uh, they'll do these investigative stories on telemarketers. 
<laughs> and some of them is kind of, some of it's kind of fun. Like they got this telemarketer on the phone and the reporter kind of became friends with this, with, with this guy. So, wow. okay. Um, and then, um, on a lighter note than I normally have for news of the week, uh, Catland, uh, is, a, <laughs> do you, do you shop at Catland? What is Catland? Oh, you would love this store too. It's like a like a witchy store. Like they sell candles oh. and tarot cards. Oh yeah. Yeah, I really like it. It's actually a few blocks from our studio in okay. Bushwick. Um, I've been known to hang out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they are performing a group curse on Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> Saturday, uh. October twentieth, from seven to ten p.m. All of Brooklyn should come out. I'm coming. I know. <laughs> and um, so they are, and I'm just going to read the way they describe it because I really like the way that they put it. Performing okay. a public hex on Brett Kavanaugh upon all rapists and the patriarchy at large, which emboldens, rewards, and protects them. And then they say, we are embracing witchcraft's true roots as the magic of the poor, the downtrodden, and the disenfranchised, and its history as the only weapon the only means of exacting justice available to those of us who've been wronged by men like him. Now, they bring up a really good point in this, which is that, like, historically, like, witchcraft and these types of curses have been really used by, like, the lower class, been used by women, people who really did not feel like they had any other ways of addressing, of addressing grievances And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a very powerful tradition that we're starting to see um, a resurgence of. And also, everyone at Catland is wonderful. Uh, They put up with all my weird questions. Mm -hmm. And uh, half of the proceeds of this event are going to go to charity. They're splitting it between um, the Alley Forte Center, which helps LGBT homeless kids. And the other half will be going to Planned Parenthood. Oh, this is great. I'm going to make a day of it. I need new candles anyway. Yeah, it's like it's a really uh, cute little store, and I will definitely be there. Uh, so, if any listeners out there want to be there too, um, but don't want to go alone, this up on our Facebook page. We'll be your friends. Yep. All Let right. No, we'll, we'll we'll make a group effort. <laughs> Team building exercise. Um. So, uh, did I say at the beginning of the show what this? Yes, I did. Recovering Greenwood Cemetery. I'm very excited. And um, I hear that you actually have a personal connection to Greenwood Cemetery that is not death related. Um, (laughs) But we'll get that towards the end of the show. Um, But first off, I just wanted to ask you, like, why do you like Greenwood Cemetery? Um, I mean, it is a gorgeous place. And it's almost like a outside museum, you know, an outdoors museum with all the monuments and the landscape architecture. And it's just really peaceful. Um, And um, there's a lot of history there. And not only um, are the cemetery itself, but the historical figures that are buried there. I just really, um, I really enjoy, I know it's kind of creepy, but I really enjoy hanging out there. It's very beautiful. And it is actually uh, so Greenwood Cemetery. <coughs> well, first off, I'll give you my answer. I really love Greenwood Cemetery for all the reasons that you said, um, but also because 
it really shows like this shift in how we think about the dead, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, so for a very long time, uh, cemeteries were connected to religions and churches or synagogues. Um, People were being excluded from it, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, it was like a... I don't know. I get like, I don't like it that you can't be buried in certain cemeteries. I think that grief and death are something that uh, we all have in common. And so one of the things that I think is really special about Greenwood is, is that it doesn't have a religious affiliation, although it does have a bit of like a waspy Protestant vibe. Um, although I think that might have more to do with the price of the plots. Um, they, uh, yeah. they do have plots on sale, though. So, I mean... If I I can't afford a house in New York, so I might as well save up to put money on a, a little crib for myself. Well, you know, you could go move in early. <laughs> Pitch a tent on your plot. But um, but that's like what you have to do, though, is like people buy this like when they're like in their 50s or something like. Yeah. It's uh, and then they'll like buy things for their whole family. They see it as this investment. And, um, but one of the reasons why Greenwood Cemetery is so pretty and so different from other cemeteries at the time is, well, it was designed that way. Um, so, uh, I'm going to go into the history of it for a little bit, just to get us all caught up to speed. And then I definitely want to hear about some of the stuff that you're researching because it sounds pretty interesting. Okay. Um, so Greenwood Cemetery, uh... Uh, was founded in 1838, and at the time, it was one of the first rural cemeteries in the U.S., which is such a joke now because it's located in Sunset Park and is, like, blocks from Prospect Park, not very rural at all. There's, like, subway mm-hmm. stops surrounding it. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, it was out in the boonies. And um, so it all kind of led back to this one family and this one man, Henry Evelyn Pierpoint. And uh, Henry, his dad was actually the person who chartered the city of Brooklyn, which is insane, um, in the early 1800s. And so Henry's like, all right, dad, I'm going to strike it on my own. I'm going to do my thing. And he really wanted to have this cemetery and not just a cemetery. He really wanted like a park. And at that time, Having public parks was not very common. This is before Central Park, before Prospect Park. Right. Um, And uh, he uh, just had this, like, great mission of these beautiful, like, rolling hills. And actually, um, Greenpoint Greenpoint Cemetery, that's different. Greenwood Cemetery um, has one of the tallest hills, the tallest hill in Brooklyn. It's 200 feet above sea level. And... um, He wanted it to be almost like this cultural center and like a place for the public. And um, so he decided to build a cemetery. Um, The city was also running out of space for the dead, which is particularly horrifying because the problem has not gotten better. Um, And so, as I was saying, there's like this trend towards they were called garden cemeteries from England and just very, like, beautiful, serene, a little bit less, like, churchy with the rose. 
And um, so he bought 175 acres and he set up shop. So he was originally going to call it the Necropolis, which means City of the Dead. Right. Uh, but I guess it didn't sound very peaceful. Parkish. <laughs> yeah. Greenwood, I think, is quite a bit nicer. Although Necropolis is pretty metal. Like, I definitely think that it would um, increase their... I would their... buy a plot in Necropolis. Yeah. Sure. There's catacombs in New York. I'm not quite sure where they are. St. Pat's? St. Patrick's, yeah. You can actually tour them, oh, I heard. That'd be so neat. I saw it on Atlas Obscura that you can tour the catacombs of St. Patrick's. And then, um, so did you listen to the Bowery Boys episode about Greenwood Cemetery? A while ago, yeah, but I did. So I'm definitely pulling some information from there. Again, guys, check it out. They have such amazing info on New York City history. And they're super well-researched. I I love that podcast. I aspire. (laughs) Um, But one thing that they brought up that I thought was, like, pretty funny was was that basically no one wanted to be buried in Greenwood because it was, like, too far away from civilization. And uh, so this poor (laughs) guy is like, fuck. And he's trying to figure out ways to, like, save his park. And so he's like, all right, I got a plan. He... Decides to exhume the body of DeWitt Clinton, who's been dead for 20 years in Albany. Um, and he um, brings him to From Greenwood Albany. to bury him there. And he makes like this nice little monument to him as like a tourist attraction. <laughs> I don't know. I go see graves of celebrities. It, it makes sense. Um, but it's funny because it actually really worked. So, first off, who's uh, DeWitt Clinton? He's basically the patron saint of New York. Um, He was um, a senator, mayor, governor, and he built the Erie Canal. So, basically, everything that New York's been known for outside of New York City is uh, DeWitt Clinton. And he just seems like he was, like, a really, like, civically-minded guy. He founded the New York Historical Society. So, I don't know. I think it makes sense that he's at Greenwood. Okay. Um, well, anyway, so... I don't don't know how I feel about getting exhumed, but okay. Yeah, well, he's... I don't know. It made a really awesome park. I'm not sure if Greenwood would have lasted without his body. I don't think he would have minded. But, yeah, it's a little skeevy. Um, Well, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of other famous people in there these days, too. So maybe maybe he's on the right path. But um, at least at the time, there was, like, no one. And then once he got buried there, it became cool to be buried in Greenwood Cemetery. And they actually hit a boom in the 1860s where there were so many visitors that it was bested only by Niagara Falls. And um, there is a quote from architect uh, critic Paul Goldberger who wrote this in the 1860s, so at this time. (coughs) And he wrote... It is the ambition of the New Yorker to live upon Fifth Avenue, to take his airings in the park, and to sleep with his fathers in Greenwood. <laughs> I like that. I like that, too. But, yeah, after Greenwood Cemetery, like, Central Park followed, um, like, ten or so years after uh, Prospect Park, um, after that. Uh, like, it really 
I think New Yorkers started to appreciate green space and like the importance of it. And um, also like how beautiful public spaces can be. And um, speaking to that, um, excuse me? Considering what lower Manhattan looked like back then, I I can't imagine why they wouldn't appreciate uh, open space. I know, like horse and buggy walking everywhere, horse shit. The smell. (laughs) Smell. I know, like I sometimes, so um, I work in uh, South Street Seaport and there's like a couple of like really old style kind of like tenement type buildings. Mm-hmm. And I'll sometimes look at these buildings from the like late 1800s and I'll just be like, man, it must have been super gnarly. Honest, yeah, right. So you look at those, think about what the streets look like with the, you know, there's the lack of uh, plumbing, indoor plumbing, um, the Although there were aqueducts. Yeah. In the tenements? Probably not in the tenements, no. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Uh, You know, it's just throwing, they're just throwing their, literally throwing their shit out the window into the street. So Mm. I'd imagine Uh, a park and a tree might be pretty welcome after that. Yeah. Fish markets and, oh my goodness. Um, but to make everything even more beautiful, um, uh, uh, Henry hired uh, Richard Upjohn uh, to create that really iconic gate. And uh, so it's like this uh, Gothic revival stone gate that literally looks like someone just peeled it off the front of a castle. I love that. I love that gate so much. It's gorgeous. I and want my house to look like that. And um, so that same architect who designed the gate also designed Trinity Church um, over by the World Trade Center, which right. also has oh, a great. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the gate has all these carvings of like biblical scenes of Lazarus and Christ's resurrection. Uh, so, I mean, when I say that it's secular, I mean, it's like Christian, but I mean, they're okay with whoever being buried there for- as long as you can pay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other notable structures that I wanted to just hit on real quick before, before we dive into your section of this all is, is that um, they actually bought a greenhouse uh, that now serves as the visitor center. And the greenhouse was um, built in the late 1800s across the street from Greenwood Cemetery, it was not actually part of the cemetery at the time. And it was just run by a family of florists. Um, But it's also this very beautiful Victorian architecture. They have this like cupola, cupola at the top. Yeah. And uh, so when you visit Greenwood and you're buying your ticket for like the tours, you know, think about this family. And then I've actually been in the visitor center. Yeah. Um, How is it? It's beautiful. I mean, like it really is a beautiful structure. Is it? Am I thinking of the right building where it's the glass sort of solarium with the fountain in it? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I had a, I went to a service there a few years ago for a friend of mine. And I mean, it's just peaceful and, um, you know, the, with the water flowing through the wa- the fountain and then like the sun coming through the glass, it's just um, really uh, a gorgeous piece of architecture that adds so much more to the cemetery itself. 
Yeah, it's so cool because it's actually a pretty recent addition. I think they bought it in the 2000s. Um, but I just love that. I think that there really was something about Greenwood being there that just sort of raised the architecture in the all the areas around it. That could be true. And um, there's also a uh, these like wooden structures, including an Italian villa and a Swiss chalet. I had to look that up. It's just one of those like uh, really steep roofed Swiss Alp style houses. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really something. But you know, it's meant to be a uh, park and a outdoor public space as much as it is for the dead. And right. um, I really like that. I do too. I do like going there a lot. So, um, do you want to talk to me a little bit about William Poole? Yes, he is one of the famous residents of Greenwood Cemetery. He was born in Jersey in 1821. Um, he's also known as Bill the Butcher. For those of you who um, were wondering, he is a famous uh, gangster from he started a street gang called the Bowery Boys. Uh-huh. That's the name of that podcast. And, yeah. And uh, he was the leader of what they, this political party called the Know Nothing political movement of the 19th century. And they were called that simply because any time anybody asked them any questions, they said, I know nothing. Um, he, Bill was a famous pugilist. So he liked to fight and get into brawls. And in those fights, he would typically bite off someone's ear or nose, kind of like a, like a Mike Tyson effect. Um, wow. He, I wasn't expecting yeah. us to go in that direction. I don't know anything about him. This is all new. Well, I, I think the, um, most people remember the character in the movie Gangs of New York. He was uh, Bill Cutter. It was a, sort of a a caricature of William Poole. Uh, he was played by um, Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, so he also, um, he, was a, he was a butcher by trade. He trained um, with his father in the Washington market in Manhattan. He was also a volunteer firefighter at uh, Company 34, on, which is on Hudson and Christopher Street. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. Um, he, so he was known for his independent uh, political enforcing. So uh, he would, you know, basically bully you into voting a certain way or not voting at all. Um, and he had uh, he had his own uh, liquor establishment. I mean, he's the jack of all trades. This guy, he had his own liquor establishment, um, and. He uh, was anti-Tammany Hall, which um, was, oh, that... when I was doing my research, I was looking into Goss Tweed, too. He's also buried in Greenwood Cemetery. Um, so Bill the Butcher, had, he's a, uh, you know American born of British parents. He was a nativist. He hated immigrants, particularly the Irish. And he had a... He had a, a an enemy, a an arch enemy, I guess you would say. His name is uh, John Worthy, and 
he was also a boxer, but he was he worked for Chamney Hall under Boss Tweed, uh, for, and it was a he was an Irish Catholic, and um, they had uh, Bill and Morrissey had had a number of run-ins um, where Bill kicked the shit out of this poor soul repeatedly, um, even though. Morrissey was a professional boxer. And so um, one night, they were all in this place called Stanwix Hall, which stands, which stood at the site of 579 Broadway, which is currently now an Aldo shoe store. Gentrification. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I know. And a Verizon store. Um they were all in there, and um, Morrissey was playing cards, and and um, Bill showed up on him, and Morrissey spat in his face, Bill's face, and drew a pistol. That's one way to and escalate. To, yeah, quickly, uh, probably some booze involved. The pistol misfired, and then Bill drew his own pistol, so. Morrissey or his friend Mark McGuire or his other friend famously said, and just, I took this out of a newspaper, uh, the New York Post from the Times says, you wouldn't shoot an armed man, would you? And of course, Bill threw his pistol to the floor and whipped out two carving knives <laughs> and started hurling the knives, which is what, so when you think of the movie, uh, Bill Cutter, this is sort of like, this is where the caricature comes from, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, it's, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes, though. I mean... Yeah. So Bill, apparently, um, because he was a butcher, he was famous for throwing his knives. Um, and uh, I just, it does, it's unclear whether he had them on his person or they were just sitting on the counter. Um I, just, I have this vision of him, like with like ten knives strapped to his chest. You know, <laughs> that's probably very misguided. But anyway, so they have this fight. Morrissey leaves after the fight. Right, he goes home. Bill goes back to the bar, Stanwick Hall, and Morrissey's friends are still lingering. And they get into another scuffle with Bill. And this time, they succeed in shooting him three times, once in the leg and once in the, in the chest, hitting him in the heart. But the man survives for two weeks after the shooting. <laughs> yeah. Um, he lived for 14 days after the shooting. And... Um, they gave him a hero's funeral with thousands of people lining the street. Oh, so he died liked. Huh? He died liked, like everybody loved him. Yeah. Yeah. He has, uh, there's a half a dozen brass bands marching behind his procession. And 5,000 men marched from Christopher Street to Whitehall Street, where they put him on a ferry to Brooklyn. Wow. And he has some famous last words. 
uh, that he said on his deathbed. It says, goodbye, boys. I die a true American. Of which that epithet is on his headstone. That you can see. Mm -hmm. And I did end up digging out a wonderful old-timey photo of the real Bill the Butcher that I will send to you. Can you send it to me over our Facebook message? I will. Um, He's a big boy, too. He's like six feet, 200 pounds. You know, that's Uh so funny. Like... Uh, so I looked a little bit into uh, Boss Tweed and then hearing your story now. I think I should just start thinking about that time more when I start getting super sad about politics today. Because yeah, right. then seems like it was insane. It was insane. I mean, they're, you know, they're, um, they're stealing the ballot boxes. They're packing the ballot boxes. They're... Um, there's, I mean, there's, I mean, we live in a very civilized society considering what they, what they went through politically. And like, you just, you have money, this, the, yeah, you just corruption. have this guy who's getting drunk and biting people's ears off. And like, I know they say don't bring knives to a gunfight, but I, mean, I don't know. I think, I think Bill did just fine with knives at a gunfight. That's nuts. Yeah. So what made you want to look into him? Um, I, I, well, I was looking into Boss Tweed, and he was just like a slight mention. Um, I sent you the photo. He's just a slight mention. So when I started reading on him more, uh, I just find him a, a haunting and fascinating character in American history. Um, also, my family, my great-great-grandfather, lived in lower Manhattan, right around the same area uh, that I, he was kind of, he was born there in 18, in the 1840s. So it's kind of a, a, I feel like Bill may have like, you know, known some of the relatives way, way, way off base of dreaming, but um, you know, you never know. Could be. That would be interesting. So I'm looking at this photo of him, and you get a sense of his personality. All right, so he is wearing, like, this dark, long-sleeved shirt, and over it he has his, like, butcher's apron that, like, probably goes down past his knees. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One hand, he's holding, like, this bone saw. Yeah. And he's just staring at the camera, looking kind of surly. His apron is dirty and grimy, and he's wearing a top hat. Uh-huh. What? He's wearing a top hat. <laughs> what is this person? I don't even know. He's, I mean, it's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. He's, I mean, he's, he's frightening to look at, and yet I can't turn away. Oh, uh, I get shivers. He really looks like an old-time villain. Yep, he does. That's so funny. But now you're making me want to watch that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. I haven't seen it since moving here. Really? Mm-mm. It's, you know, it's, it's a whole... Watching it after you like, walk down lower Manhattan all the time, it's a, it gives you a different like perspective. Like, oh, I wonder where that is. Or I wonder where... You know, so you, so you learn where all these things happen, and then you go back to the neighborhood and be like, oh, this is where this was. 
Yeah, well, and now you recognize the names of some of these people. Like uh, Fulton was a really rich old guy who helped uh-huh. found Brooklyn and yep. had like a shipping business, which makes sense why Fulton Street would be the port, you know? Yeah. Like, it's cool to like dig through this history and then see the dramatization of it. Um, it definitely means more to me now than when I was living in Texas. I'm sure. And we just have a few more minutes, so I want to hear your story um, before I play our outro music. So, oh, the day the day I got lost and yeah. Uh, so, uh, I was in there with a friend of mine, and uh, in Greenwood, we were, right? You know, in Greenwood, yeah. We were. This was years ago. We were broke and young and living in Brooklyn. And we decided to smoke a bowl of marijuana and wander around the cemetery because it was a beautiful fall day. And uh, we were taking pictures of, you know, the crypts and enjoying sitting by the fountain. And the next thing you know, the sun is starting to set. And we have no idea how the fuck to get out of the cemetery. <laughs> so we're wandering around. Sh- you know, we're thinking, okay, follow the fence. And we should have taken a left instead of that right. But we took the right. And it's now dark. And the security guy pulls up in his car. And he's got some drunk homeless dude in the back seat. Who is he's like rocking back and forth and screaming and he he looks at the two of us and he's like you need to leave and we're like but we can't we can't find our way out and he's like okay just take a left and take a right take a right then another left then a right then a right then a left oh and you'll find the gate and we just it was like one of those scenes in the movie where you're just staring at him and you're going okay and he drove away like couldn't send someone back to get us. Nope. Just drive away and leave us there. And by the, we got, we realized by the time we got out, we'd been in there for like seven hours trying to find our way out. Don't go in there the first time stoned. That's all I can tell you. Oh, that sounds like my worst nightmare being stoned (laughs) in a cemetery. And I used to smoke in a cemetery. No disrespect. No, none. Um, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, you know, it's a huge place, but you don't really realize how big that place is until you're lost in there. And it's so Um, old, you know, um, so I actually used to live by it and I'd walk my roommate's dog through it. Oh, that's my connection. Yeah. And I didn't even, I had just moved to New York. I was like my second month here. I had like no concept of anything. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, oh, it's like this weird park with gravestones. Cool. And I would just, like, wander through there with her little lap dog. And um, it was a bit of a shame, though, because I didn't even really appreciate it. I just thought that that was what New York was like. No, <laughs> Greenwood's special. Greenwood is special. Um, Greenwood is special. I mean, you know, we don't have anything like that where I'm in Minneapolis where I'm from. Some of the cemeteries aren't like that. Most of them, you know, they're just not as beautiful. They're not as sprawling. They're not... Um, the attention to detail in the architecture, but nothing like that. I will say the Gulf Coast has some pretty good ones. 
because you can't bury people underground. Yeah. And so you get those mausoleums, like in New Orleans. Yeah, I like that. And uh, actually, that's becoming more common in Houston, too, I think. I mean, God, like everyone after Harvey started building their houses on top of their garage, like on stilts. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, but uh, my parents actually used to live in New Orleans. We had a house there. And I remember being oh. like 10. And they're like, oh, God, what's that lady's name? The really badass Marie- witch. Marie Laveau. Yeah, she, they're like, let's go show Joanna Marie Laveau's grave. And I remember going there when I was super little. And it's before they, now they have like a little rope so you can't get too close. But I remember just like touching it and there's all these like scratches on it. Pretty cool. I was there, yeah. I was there a few years ago, left my little penny offerings. But you have to, you have to have a booked tour to get into that cemetery now. And you can't just go in there. All right. Well, we've got to get going. Time is up. Thank you so much for being on the show. And guys, come join us next week. Thanks, Joe. Bringing my darling back